We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship and study together as the rest of us bow together to pray. Let's pray. We come just as we are, O God. We come with a willingness now to hear you through uh, scripture, through anthem, through sermon, but mostly through your spirit, which pervades this room and instills every heart. May we find the, the living water this day that would quench our deepest thirst. In the name of living water, we pray. Amen. Stay thirsty, my friends, says the most interesting man in the world. But if you've ever been thirsty, you know that uh, thirst is not something you want to stay. You don't want to stay thirsty. In fact, we do everything possible to avoid uh, being thirsty. It's hard to preach when you're thirsty. It's hard to listen to a sermon when you're thirsty. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you brought water in today. You know who you are. Just don't spill it, okay? We have this aversion to being stuck somewhere without water. So the Exodus reading for this morning, Moses and the children of Israel freed from the bondages of slavery. What a great story. And yet they're concerned. Have you brought us out here to die? Any fan of the Hunger Games knows that Katniss Everdeen's first mission, once the uh, bell sounds, is to find a source of water. For without water, she will shrivel and die. And so, interesting to me that this unlikely conversation between Jesus, the Jew, and this unnamed woman who is a Samaritan starts with the issue of Jesus being physically thirsty. He and his disciples have been traveling. They've been uh, on their way. They're in the city of Sychar where Jacob's well uh, is located. And Jesus, sitting by the well, says to this woman who comes by herself to this well, give me a drink. It's kind of harsh or gruff or rude. And the woman says in kind of a defensive and confrontive way, What are you doing, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? She brings up issues of religion and uh, gender and uh, politics, all in one response. Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, and it kind of sounds like he's pulling rank, like a politician or an actor who might get pulled over by a police officer saying, do you know who you're talking to? But that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, if you knew this gift, what is the gift? The gift is this awakening to a radically different way of living, of looking at the world, of learning about creation and about ourselves. It is a radically transformed way of seeing our lives Reframing not only our lives and our relationships, but reframing what we mean by the word God. You see, God has gotten a bad rap. 
God has been reduced to someone out and beyond, someone who is merely supernatural and other, rather than a God who is present and able to speak to us at the deepest places of our lives. If you knew the gift of God, Jesus says to her, my mission is to reveal what the world most needs, which is not well water, but rather water that will make us well, deep in our souls. Answering those questions, quenching those questions and hydrating our souls as we think about the question, am I good enough? And is God even here? Or am I alone? As the children of Israel ask, is the Lord with us or not? To ask the question, if God does exist, which God are we talking about? Well, the woman ignores or avoids the metaphor that Jesus has made, that transition from water well to water that will make us well. She ignores it completely. She uh, plays the role of the literalist, the fundamentalist, if you will. Where are you going to get water? She says, you don't even have a bucket. Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well and he and his ancestors drank from it all these years? Are you better than, greater than him? And I wonder, is she really that literal? Or is sometimes... Literalism, a defense that allows us to avoid or bypass those places in our lives that are most profoundly personal and raw and real. Does she just not want to go there? Does she not want to talk about how parched and dry her spirit is? Well, Jesus keeps going. Everyone who drinks from this well water will be thirsty. Again, in other words, the waters of the past don't quench your thirst for long. They're not meant for the long haul. But the water which I will give is a permanent kind of thirst quencher. It's a self-perpetuating spring that wells up in you. I love the way Paul said it in Romans. The love of God is poured into our hearts. That's a big claim. Do you believe it? Jesus says this way that he invites us into to trust this bigger understanding of God. A God who is a presence among us who will redirect us. Help us find our way again. Restore relationships and forgive sins and bless people and heal people and tear down dividing walls. That this Jesus will quench your core thirst forever. I don't know if you believe it. But the woman said, that's what I want. Sign me up. Now, if Jesus was practicing superficial religion... If, say, he was giving away guns to get people to come to church, that would never happen. He would see an opening here. And he would say, ta-da, here I am. I am the one. 
come on, sign up for me. Another satisfied customer, another soul for Christ. But Jesus isn't quick to close the deal. He's not quick to close the deal. He's not looking for a quick fix. He's not looking for just another notch in his Bible, so to speak. Jesus wants more than a yes. He's wanting transformation. He's wanting a deep interior change. And he knows that this living water has to saturate and hydrate deeply to really make a difference. And so he says to her, go and call your husband. We know that he knows the truth. And at first blush, it feels like kind of a harsh and even a a cruel thing to do. But I wonder if Jesus is recognizing the truth. That to really saturate into our souls, we've got to unveil the deepest place in our lives where we hurt. Go and call your husband, he says to her. I have no husband. What did it take to say that? What kind of vulnerability and honesty did it take for this woman in front of this one that she has begun to discern is is a source of life? What did it take for her to be completely honest in that moment? And what would it take for you Open up that place in yourself where you need living water. Well, Jesus affirms her twice. He says, you, you're right. You have no husband. You have, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. You've told the truth. Some scholars say that the five husbands represent the five Samaritan gods that the Samaritan people worshipped, and that this sixth person uh, would represent maybe the kind of conflated, truncated Judaism that the Samaritans were worshipping at that time. Maybe so. Or maybe Jesus just looked at her life, the heaviness which, with, with which she carried her life, and he read the lines on her face and knew her story. He was saying to her, let's go to this most vulnerable and painful place that you've preferred to avoid, this place where you've been an epic failure and a disappointment, and let's start talking there. And I wonder, what would it be like in your life to go there, in your relationships to go to that place? As a church, for us to talk about that raw place, or us as a city, or as a nation, as divided as we are, what would it be like to invite Christ into that place? Are all the places that are in the news today, Africa and Syria and Crimea, what, what, what might happen? Some years ago, my friend Jeff Hale and I went on behalf of Highland Baptist Church to the nation of Macedonia in Eastern Europe. You remember those years when we, when we were connected to a ministry there, to the Albanian people who lived in Macedonia. 
Jeff and I were there to do some kind of preliminary work because there was a fledgling little Christian church that had been born there. So we were talking and visiting at the hotel in the capital city of Skopje. We were in the bar because that was the only place to get anything to drink. And uh, (laughs) speaking of which, the bartender knew that we were there working with the Albanian people. He said, frankly, I think Albanian people are like rats. They multiply, they're dirty, they just steal and raid things. He said, if it was legal and if I could get away with it and I had a gun, I'd kill every Albanian I could find. I said, what did the Albanian people do to you that's made you so angry? And he said in response, in 1393, the Albanian people massacred our people. And I'm thinking, that was 600 years ago. I became an evangelist that day. I realized these people need Christ. I don't mean Christ as some kind of salve where everybody just believes Jesus in their hearts or in their heads. I'm talking about Christ who comes and shows us, as he put it, the way, the truth, and the life. A radically transformed way. They're not the only ones who need Christ. We need Christ too. We need to be converted. We need to be called to this revolutionary way of of truth and life and wholeness and blessing and unity that I think Christ came into the world to give us. You're right, he said to her. You have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your real husband. As Dr. Phil would say these days, how's that working out for you? Jesus knows that if the good news isn't good news at our deepest places, if it doesn't hydrate our deepest thirst, then the good news is just a mirage. It's not real. Sir, she said, I, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. And by that, I don't think she meant just, you know my story. But you know me deeply at my core. And you recognize the false promises and failed attempts of my life. And you're coming to offer an alternative vision of what that might be. I'm searching, she said. I know that you're... Your people, the Jewish people, say to worship on this mountain, and our people say to worship on that mountain. And Jesus says, hey, it's not about this mountain or that mountain. Judaism conveys God's message for the world, but here's what's important. Not the trappings, not the dividing, not the us and them. What's important is the message, the way, the gift of God, this water. Thomas Aquinas long ago said, life is more important than doctrine. The woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is supposed to come, one who is to come and restore and reunite. And Jesus says to her, I am he. That's why we're having this conversation. That's the point of this exchange, to restore and to reunite. 
and this woman. Six times a loser. Now finds herself being proposed to by a seventh man. Jesus. Who wants to give her what she's been seeking all along. Wholeness and life and home. Purpose. Love. Well, it's an old story. And you may be thinking, what does this have to do with me and my life? And really, it has nothing to do with you. Unless it invites you to consider if living water is real. I wonder if you would consider the proposition that there is a new frame for God. A new picture of God. A new picture for life and your life and how you relate to other people in the world. How people who are broken can be made whole. How people who are lost can find their way again. How we can do more than just fight against the powers and the principalities. We can win. We can win and we can reunite and we can restore I wonder if it's possible to get beyond our own physical pains, our own personal thirst to a love that liberates and lubricates and loosens all that is is amiss in our lives and calls us again to this wholeness. Can this message, can this way, can this Jesus do more than just get us to heaven after we die? Can heaven come here? Can it be possible? As Jesus taught us to pray in the prayer that, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, as in heaven. It makes all the difference in the world. Can an encounter with loving and accepting Jesus somehow provide moisture and life? all the grudges that we've held grudges against friends against enemies against life itself or whatever we've been dealt can it rain on the dehydrated places of our lives and could it could it make a difference in the world what it, would it do in Russia and Crimea what might it do in Syria what might it do in those places of, in Africa where there's civil war, where people are killing each other for oil and property. Well, it's not a magic bullet. It's more like a slow time-release capsule. It's more like a, a slow-soaking rain that is able to saturate and sink down deeply into the roots of our lives. And over time, we're transformed. I have a friend who has some anger issues. Um, In fact, I'm going to write a country western song about her. 
It's called She Has Issues. Her problem is that she's always right. And she's always the smartest person in the room all the time. So you can see where anger issues come from. I talked to her one day in the hall, down the hall at the water fountain. I tried not to preach to her, but hey, (laughs) occupational hazard. So Jesus came into the conversation. She was pretty sure that she was smarter than Jesus, but she decided that she'd give him a try. This week I got an email from her. She wrote, okay, I'm 15 days into Lent, and I can't pretend that I've given up anger cold turkey. I'm in the midst of the empire, for heaven's sake. Empire pays my bills, and the empire has budgets and project deadlines and short-term profit goals. But I am trying to hold on, trying to hold my own and not act out of anger. And I'm praying that God allow me to see the essential humanity of everyone around me, especially those who inadvertently or intentionally do me and my people wrong. No one's expendable, right? I'm on it. I love the line in the story where John writes that the woman so hydrated with the water of the soul, leaves her water jar there at the well and goes back to the village to tell her kinsmen and women, come and see a man who is able to tell me everything I've ever done. He couldn't be the Messiah, could he? Maybe the most interesting man in the world is right. Maybe stay thirsty, my friend, really ought to be our motto. For we need to be thirsty for living water. Let's pray together. Living water. Sitting before me are people who know where their places of brokenness are. And they know that you know. Like the woman of Samaria, may they open themselves to you. And may they find that deep, deep refreshment that only you can give. Through Christ we pray. Amen.